What's going on, people? Welcome back to the Uncensored Critic Podcast. Today, I am joined by a friend of mine, an actor who is simply at the top of her game. And I'm so honoured and so pleased that she's taken time out of her incredibly busy schedule to be with me today. And for anyone who is interested in watching my previous episodes, uh, I had a guy one called Christian Patterson, who worked with me at the National Theatre on a, on a play called My Country, A Work in Progress. And Laura today was also part of that cast where she played North East, because she's from the Northeast. And Northeast. <laughs> a proud girl from Sunderland and who has made it big time in the industry. And it's a genuine pleasure to have her with me today to talk about her career and her journey into the industry and what is going to happen next. So this is Laura. Let's introduce her. So Laura graduated from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in July 2004. Also in 2004, she won the Carlton Hobbs Radio Award. And she has a vast selection of theatre, TV and film credits to her name. In theatre, she has worked on The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe, Rutherford and Son, Young Marks, My Country, A Work in Progress, Jane Eyre, <clears throat> Romeo and Juliet, The White Devil, Virgin, Love and Information, Utopia, Top Girls, A Month in the Country, Pains of Youth, Bedroom Farce, Far From the Madding Crowd, Women of Troy, Glass Eels, Heartbreak House, Scenes from an Execution, Tom and Viv, The Crucible, Mrs. Strata, Pictures of Clay, Breathing Corpses and Country Music. And we move on to her TV credits where she's worked on My Country, A Work in Progress, Vera, uh, The Trial, A Murder in the Family, Called the Midwife, Wendy and Peter, where she worked with Stanley Tucci, uh, SEO Trotz, The Suspicions of Mr. Witcher, Holby City, Doctors, My So-Called Life Sentence, Tess and the Durbervilles, I hope I said that right, uh, and of course in the feature film as well, where she worked on something called Military Wives Choir with Kristen Scott Thomas, Peter Liu, uh, Leave to Remain, and History Boys, where she worked with the original cast, including Richard Griffiths, James Corden, Dominic Cooper, and Russell Tovey, just to name a few of them. And if that's not enough, she has worked on four of the biggest TV shows produced over the last 10 years. And I can't, I'm really keen to ask her about her experiences on this one. And those include Des with Daniel Mays and David Tennant, Chernobyl, Line of Duty, and a little known thing called Game of Thrones. And my, my goodness, Laura, what a career you've had. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's very silly. <laughs> How's that silly? <laughs> well, it's just, uh, well, the, those two, like, there was a period of time where Line of Duty, Chernobyl, and Game of Thrones came out really around the same time. I mean, I'd filmed them at different times, but they all kind of came out at the same time. And, uh, People were like, Jesus Christ. Well, my brother said I was ruining telly for him because he likes to sit and like watch the telly and relax. And he was like, you keep propping up and I'm really getting annoyed because it's on stuff I really like. So, so I've ruined telly for my brother. Um, well, you haven't. Yeah. Well, you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I bet he loves, I bet secretly he's really proud of you of what his sister's done. Oh, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. I'll, uh, yeah. Well, there's times where he'll ask little questions about it, but you know, he's a big brother. He can't, he can't totally uh, awash me with praise. He's got to keep my feet on the ground, you know. Oh, yeah. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Uh, so, yeah, I suppose to begin with today, um, I'm sure you've probably been asked this question just a million and one times since your appearances on the Chernobyl and Game of Thrones, but like to work specifically in the HBO universe um, on those two shows in particular, what was, what was that experience like? Um, well, Game of Thrones is weird because you don't you don't get any scripts. So I auditioned with a script that no, no, I, I got sent something to to read. Um, and when I got to the audition, they were like, right, we're going to throw that script away because that's actually nothing to do with what you'll be doing. And we're going to do um, we're going to do some improvisation. So I <laughs> I ended up holding hands with the casting director moving around a chair and pretending to be followed and attacked and trying to save uh and he was playing my daughter and I had to grab I mean it was very strange it was very weird I didn't really know what I was doing but I was holding hands with the casting director which was hilarious and um yeah and uh so then you, you don't know anything and then the second they asked me back in to just have a little read with uh, the girl who was going to play my daughter. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't anything, there's nothing to read. So it was just sit and chat. So sit and chat with the little girl. I think they were just making sure I wasn't 
completely weird with kids and I could communicate with them. And I wasn't like, oh, children, because, you know, I had to be a pr protective mother. Um, so that was all weird because it's so secretive. I mean, I didn't find out what I was doing like really close to the time. And I was like, any, any idea? I would like to see what I'm getting up to because I'd like to prepare. I'd like to learn lines. I'd like to do all that. So yeah, so Game of Thrones audition was very strange. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this company has money and Game of Thrones has money. Yeah. And Jesus Christ, the set was like insane. Like yeah. they built the entire city. It was King's Landing. I was there. Um, I mean, I, I didn't watch Game of Thrones. I don't know Game of Thrones. So I I get, I'm kind of, no, they were like, loads of people like were getting clues because of course I was under strict, strict thing not to give anything away. And just by me saying the colour of what I, of the costume I was wearing, one of my mates was like, oh, that means you're in King's Land, that means, and I was like, oh God, I've really got to not say anything. Yeah. Like, and we did this Comic-Con and I just ended up, my episode hadn't come out yet and I just had to say, I was like I can't say anything because I'm going to give something away because I don't know what these clues mean to fans so I just was like no I can't say anything. I can't say anything on the mic it's just like <laughs> oh, can't say anything can't say anything so yeah so, yeah I was just paranoid that I was going to give something away because my plot was quite a big um with uh oh forget the name of the uh, aria uh no, not Arya. Is it Arya? Arya, yeah, Arya Stark, yeah. So, um, played by Maisie, and it was quite a big moment in the fact that, I mean, spoiler if you've not seen it, where King's Landing was kind of destroyed and burned down. So it was quite a big plot point that I was in. So, yeah, I just had to be silent because I knew I'd give something away and HBO would come after me and I don't fancy being sued by HBO because they've definitely got more money than I do. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. I mean, because, yeah, because 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 it was like the biggest show in the world at the time. And, you know, sadly, I think it's lost a bit of that steam because of the last series and everything that that went on. Um, you know, it's it, it's amazing how you can just say one little thing. And, you know, there's super fans out there who are just on you like like that. I mean, yeah. it was, I knew someone at university who um, went to a Game of Thrones quiz one night at the local at, at a local <laughs> And basically said, guys, I'm not going to need you. I'm just going to do everything. And he knew all the answers. He knew all the answers. I mean, there's somebody who, I mean, I credit to him, but I thought, wow, wow, this show is really going. Really yeah, good. it makes people insane, I think. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. You know, I've, I've had, like, arguments with my brother over, like, the over bits in Lord of the Rings and, like, what that moment in the plot meant and everything else. And it wasn't, like, afterwards, I thought, Okay, okay, I'm putting to stop that now. This is it's just it's just a film. It's just a, but I whilst I love it, but I think I need to calm down a bit now. Um was it was it similar with um when you went for the audition for Chernobyl? Did they say say nothing? No, Chernobyl was a bit more straightforward. We were given I think we were given a script of the, the script, like a little bit of it. Mm. Um and yeah, that was quite a nice um meeting because uh, Johan Renkloo directed it and Craig uh, Matson, who wrote it, yeah. they were all in, I mean, it was a bit terrifying because, like, everyone was in the room. This is the other thing about HBO. Like, the world and their wife were in the room. Like, it was the director, it was the thing, it was the casting director, it was the producer. It was the, so you walk in, you're like, hey, hello, everybody in the world. Um, and, yeah, so that was a bit nerve-wracking. But I think I got it because of my surname. Because uh, Craig, who wrote it, was like, Oh my God, Laura, your name, your name, Elphinstone, that's amazing. And I was like, well, it's Scottish aristocracy, you know, it's, uh, and he was like, oh my God. And like, I thought, I walked out and went, I think I might have got that because of my surname. And I was like, and I look like an elf. So it suits me. I'm an Elphinstone and I look like an elf. <laughs> it's just like, so I made them laugh. And uh, yeah, and uh, I think that's why I got it because I've got an interesting surname that I suit, a surname that I suit. So what I don't know what the acting was like, but at least I made them laugh. So. Uh, only you can say that. Only you can say that. But uh, no, but no, the acting was great. You know, I remember just uh, just watching the first episode, and again, a bit like I suppose, <laughs> like not quite like what your brother would say. But I was thinking, that's Laura. That's, that's Laura. And then really? two weeks later, I was watching Game of Thrones. I thought, what well, there she is again. <laughs> and I, I even messaged you going, 
mate, you're in Game of Thrones. And I was like, and you were like, well spotted. Yeah. <laughs> that was incredible. Because um, I'm curious to know actually, because after watching Chernobyl, because I became really fascinated about that subject, not only because of the event and what happened, but just the the way that the Soviet Union just completely manipulated the whole the whole thing. They said that like, just this is just like at the surface, they say the death toll of the whole thing was just 31 people. Yeah. And no, no. 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 This is what, working on Chernobyl was quite hard at times because you had to keep going, shit, this is real. This is this actually happened. So the scenes that I did on, on the bridge of death, because we filmed it in Lithuania oh, yeah. and uh, we went on this Britain, it was like, shit, this is what happened. People went closer to look at it because it was beautiful and they were stepping into horrendous and they they all died on the bridge of death yeah the the entirety they brought their children closer they brought but yeah it was it was so hard because you'd kind of forget and you'd get on with your day and you'd be filming and you'd be having a nice time and then suddenly it would hit you and you'd go oh bloody hell like i'm playing someone who who died from this and and not only died but really really horribly i mean the symptoms were I mean, part of the research, we were sent um, yeah. uh, footage and pictures and that was just, it was really, really bleak and really depressing. And then, you know, then you start to look into it. And like you say, you see how the government just totally, totally whitewashed it over and, and essentially killed people and they died in a very horrible way. So it was a real kind of eye opener sometimes when, you know, you were having a bit of a whinge because we did a couple of night shoots and, you know, it gets to two, three in the morning and you're a bit like, I'm really tired. And you go, I know, my life isn't too bad. It's it's all right. Yeah. Don't win too much. You're doing you're doing something called Chernobyl. You flex on who died a horrible death. So maybe less windy, Laura, and more worky. Remember, like remember where you are, sort of sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because you had you had a scene where I think you and the guy playing your husband, you you had a scene, I think, when you're being evacuated out of your hotel block and you, you and everyone around you, you're holding on to your uh baby and your everyone in there is covered you know their skins yeah you know, red and you know it's all you know you know I don't, I don't mean to put this in a negative light or bring the tone down here but it's like i think one of the symptoms is that the the blood's capillaries like they split open or yeah like and so you you bleed internally and your body slowly just shuts down pretty much yeah it's a horrible thing uh really horrible thing where you feel slightly better before yeah. the end so your your the face swells it all becomes but then there's a stage where you go oh actually i'm feeling better yeah. which is really horrible it's like oh yeah so yeah. and uh i was just gonna say that day in makeup you must have been stood there for ages and someone just like putting loads of red dots all over your body and even though you know even though what we do is you know it, it's even though it's a real story, it's like a, a fantasy telling of, of a true story, but, and you're just getting makeup on, you're saying this isn't really real, but I mean, did you have a moment where I think if I was in that position and someone's putting all that stuff on me, I'm thinking, what if this was real? And I'm walking out of here knowing I've got something I can't be cured by. And yeah, well, they didn't know. That's the other terrifying thing. They didn't know what yeah, yeah. it was. And we had, so I had prosthetics made for my lips and for my eyelids and all that. So I was in quite a bit, not as long, as, long as uh, God, who was the actor who, he had a full body uh, thing. And um, yeah, so I had prosthetics on my eyes to make them puffier on my lips because it made them uh, kind of bigger and swollen. So I had loads of kind of bits to swell my face as well as having the kind of skin peeling off thing. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's hard because at first you're going, cool, look how different I look. And then there's this sudden, like, when you, it was in the hospital, I think that scene you're talking about where we all have tried to go to the hospital to get people seen and then we get um, told to get out. And just, I mean, first of all, the hospital we were in was quite derelict and it's still a working hospital in Lithuania. Mm. And then to see everyone around you, all the kind of essays and, you know, your fellow actors all kind of done and it 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 was pretty horrible it wasn't a pleasant place to be and also what was difficult is I had a little boy and we uh had to in one of the rooms 
I don't think that scene made it, but in one of the rooms we we were sat in and we had to throw soup everywhere because uh, p- people vomited a lot. And he was just like, what is going, because it just, it just looked like sick and I was all done up and it was just really hard to kind of explain to a child who first language wasn't English that, mm. you know, this is all, so we had to kind of play the game going, oh, look, bleh. you know, it's sick just to make it not, not scary because it was quite terrifying in the hospital mm. uh, when we shot those scenes. So we had to kind of, you know, try and make light of it for his sake because, because every time we called action, everyone was just like, ah, you know, it was pretty terrifying. So, yeah, it, it, was, it was a really difficult time to kind of go, it's fine, you're all right, you're safe, but also to take it really seriously. So... Wow, I mean, and I, as terrifying as that, that is, I mean, what, I mean, what an incredible job to have been a part of, you know. And you, you know, you were part of a show which really brought to light because I think there were some people who didn't know about what happened there, and now suddenly really interested. You know, they're watching videos on YouTube, they're researching it, they're listening to. There's the Chernobyl podcast, which I've listened to, which is incredible. But that's with. Um, I think is, is it with David who who created it who created the series and I think Craig goes on there as well but um no not David but it's with the creator and the writer of the show and <laughs> it's an incredible listen if you ever get the chance to listen to it it's amazing yeah but you know but I read the scripts I was like oh shit this is good yeah. like when we sat down for the the read-through and we heard it all kind of come together I was like mm, I think this is I think this is quite good yeah. Um, yeah, because the script sounded brilliant. It was really beautifully written. They'd worked years on it to get it to where it it got to, but yeah, it, I definitely read the script and went, "Yeah, this is something." Yeah. Did you, did you spend much time with? Um, oh God, uh, Mr. Harris, uh, uh, who? Jared. Jared Harris. Yeah. Did you spend much, any time? Um, with we had time off because we didn't have any scenes together, but yeah. we would often cross over and you know, share a green room and, and bless him. I just remember saying to him, you've, you've got a hell of a lot on your plate. He's like, oh my God. Like after the read through, he was just like, oh yeah. God. Cause I think it was dawning on him how much he had to do and all the kind of, he had, you know, that courtroom stuff was endless him, you know, going through the science of it. And yeah. So Bless, I was like, I said, you've got my sympathy. And he's like, yeah, thank you very much. It's uh, <laughs> going to be a tall order. So, yes. Uh, but, but yeah. That, that court scene, I have to say, was, I, oh. I, watched, I watched it about three or four times to understand what he was talking about. But he, but that, that's not a slow on Jared, but I thought he did a fantastic job. He did an amazing. And to hear, just to hear how it all went down was just incredible. But, you know, what an incredible document, documentary, an uh, incredible TV series to be a part of. I mean, that's must be an amazing thing. Um, cool. So let's go right back to the beginning. Let's go right back to the beginning for yourself here. Yeah. Where did the spark to be an actor or actress come from? Was it someone from school? What made you want to, what, what was the spark that said to you, I'm going to be an actor? Um, well, I, um, my, to be honest, my dad always wanted to be a professional actor, but was told to get a proper job because it wasn't uh, a thing that people did. Mm. Um, and he kind of left school with no qualifications and he, um, he worked his way up in, from the shop floor uh, in, a, in Bush when they sold. He was a tailor at one point and then he, was, uh, he worked on a shop floor of electronics and, and kind of worked his way up and, and ended up, doing that but then towards the end of his life um he was made redundant and he uh, decided not to find another job in the electric electronics business that he became a professional director up in Sunderland wow. um, but before this my mum and dad had all, always done amateur theatre and my grandparents had done amateur theatre and my mum and dad met doing amateur theatre playing a married couple um so it was always kind of in my life I didn't start, I wanted to be a policewoman. I wanted to be a car mechanic. Uh, what else did I want to be? Oh, I wanted to be a professional judo. Um, so, you know, really, really good jobs like that. Um, I'd love and, to fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I started to really decide, because I did, I did like a little play and I was always involved. Like if my dad was rehearsing when they didn't have a babysitter, 
I'd have to sit in the rehearsal room and watch them do the boring rehearsal. And and then I just thought I would like to have a go at that. So yeah. I had a go and, and then that was it. I, as soon as I discovered it, I was like, right, that's it. Uh, whatever, I'm going to go to drama school. I'm going to go, because I didn't know, I didn't know how to become an actor. So you you look it up in the course of that, there was no Google. So you're like, I'll ask people and NYT came up. Mm. National Youth Theatre, and it was the first time they started to go to the northeast. Instead mm. of making people travel down, they went to the northeast to audition people. And because my mum at, at the local comp, she was a drama teacher. Uh, she heard she was drama and English. She heard that this these people called National Youth Theatre were auditioning people to get in. So I went for that, and I got in. And that was the real key. I came down to London. We had three weeks of absolute mayhem. Um, I'm illegally drunk. Uh, you know, I was definitely not 18. Definitely, definitely got drunk. Um, and lived on super noodles for three weeks because I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, oh. yeah. I mean, I was I couldn't cook anything. I mean, I was like super noodles. I'll do uh, smileys, potato smileys, and beans. Yeah, um, toast is better than than super noodles, right? I know, but I was just like, I was, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, why am I in London? Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's fair enough. People who loved as much as I loved it and took it as seriously as I took it. Hmm. And that was for me, like, I never want to come, but I just want to do this forever now. I, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was, and like I did like the Sunderland Amateur Operatic Society. I like did Annie Get Your Gun. I did Oliver. Uh, I did Annie. I didn't play Annie. I didn't give me the part. Um, but uh, yeah, like I did loads of little bits and pieces here and there. But yeah, MIT was the one where I went, oh dear God, this is what I want to do. Yeah. How do I make it happen? And so yeah, I asked around and they said, go to drama school. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. And then realized, that you had to travel for auditions and it was terrifying and it was uh, quite hard work, but mm. yeah. Nice. I mean, and you, because you, as I said in, at the top of the show, you went to Guildhall, you graduated in 2004. Um, what, and how, how do you describe yourself before drama school and after drama school? Uh, what did drama school give you and what did it take away? Um, drama, oh God, it's a whole journey on drama school. I mean, I turned up on the first day and I had my Sunderland shirt with Mackham written on the back because people are from Sunderland are called Mackhams. And that's why all my drama school friends, they call me Max. Yeah. Mackham, that's, I ended up this first year going, I'm a Mackham, not a Geordie. I'm a Mackham, not a Geordie. So Mackham. that name. Yeah. Um, so I kind of turned up as, I would say, pretty unconfident in my abilities I was like I think I've chanced it you know that's like imposter syndrome of going how did I get here um but it, then you go on a journey where this whole they break you down and build you up all that kind of malarkey yeah yeah, yeah. And then you're told you can't walk properly you've walked for 18 years and you can't do it properly you can't breathe properly you can't talk properly um and yeah and I found it tough and and I think I only started I found my first year really hard because mm. you know I was one of the youngest in my year as well because a lot of people had had kind of done degrees beforehand or had a couple of years out and there weren't many 18 year olds there yeah. um, and I found it quite tough second year beginning of second year I started by mid second year I started to kind of find my feet and to be honest, the most I learned really, I mean, what they, what they did give me is professionalism, how to be on time, not to be late yeah. for anything. And I'm, I'm, and people would some say anal about it, but uh, you know, I like timing, looking after my voice. So if I'm doing a long run or if I'm doing screaming and shouting, you know, I know how to warm up my voice properly. I know how to um, do all that and, and prepare my body for, uh, for theater. I mean, I still warm up a bit when I'm doing telly and things. I do like, you know, they don't need the projection, but, you know, you don't want to be slurring everywhere. <laughs> um, although I'm sure I have at some point. Uh, but, yeah, so, and then I came out of drama school not overly confident again. I, I, I didn't, I felt, I didn't quite feel comfortable in my body yet. I was 
I still didn't quite know what to do with myself. And it was over being out of drama school. I started to find my feet and start to go and, and also shed their opinions of you because it's ingrained for three years. You're, they have an opinion of you. Mm. And you're reminded of your, um, your downfalls, your faults quite regularly because what they're trying to do is iron those out, rightly so. You know, I can do RP, I can do accents, I can do all that. That's all part of the training is that they have to know what you're good at and what you're not. What the beauty about stepping out into the real world is no one knows this yet. And no one has predestined ideas about what you're going to do or, you know. So it's quite nice to then go, thank you very much for this training. And thank you for giving me this. Also, it gave me my agent. I wouldn't have gone with my agent because we do a showcase and the agents are invited. You know, if I'd stayed in Sunderland and not done any of this, not gone to a, a, a decent drama school or drama that would help, then it makes life so much harder. So they gave me that. So essentially, they gave me the start of... You know, because I, I, you know, I, my first show was country music and I left slightly early at the end to go and do that. And that was very strange, but they gave me, you know, because I did something that casting director saw it at Guildhall, which meant, you know, so it's it's all that. So they gave me a lot, hmm. but in terms of, and I'm still trying to find my confidence now. I still feel absolutely terrified and nervous. And really? You know, oh yeah, it's, it's it doesn't, yeah, I think it's a weird thing. You'd think, oh, you should be able to relax now because you've done this, this, this. and yeah. But no, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. I'm possibly my own worst enemy sometimes. But yeah, I'm still, I, anxiety hasn't gone away. But I now have evidence that it is possible that I, I can do a big part. I can do that because there's evidence now in my past history. But yeah, it's still it's still terrifying and it's still a nerve wracking experience to walk into an audition room or, you know, to have first day on set or second day on set or third day on set. You know, it's, it's, it's still absolutely terrifying, but yeah. uh, idiots keep employing me. So I'll, uh, I'll take that. No, they know, they know great talent when they see it. They know great talent when they see it. Oh, <laughs> no, no, I, I totally, I get that. I'm, I'm the same, you know, I, you know, you'd think that because, who said it the other day? I think it might have been. Um, oh God, I can't remember. Exactly. I think it might have been uh, Polly Bennett. We have a mutual friend in Polly Bennett at. Uh, yeah. Don't we? Hi, Polly. Uh, Hi. And uh, yeah, and I think she made a very good point once. Over the first lockdown, she had these coffee mornings on Zoom, and she made a good point by saying that it doesn't matter if you're just starting out or you're Tom Hanks. You know, there's always going to be doubt you're always going to suffer from that feeling of can I do this again can I can I do a good job here there's, there's always that inner anxiety and you know I've I'm exactly everything you said there was resonated with me you know because there's that feeling of going into the room and just thinking oh god what's you know you look at everyone else in the waiting room and you think oh they're very good they look, they look more like the part than I do and it's like yeah forever always yeah because I remember I was sent to um when I first got my, when I got my first agent, they, she sent me for um, a basketball, um, a basketball, no, a, a trainer's uh, advert. And they wanted somebody who had a kind of that basketball kind of edginess and stuff like that. And I turn up in my black joggers, black shirt, you know, RP voice, not very flexible. And then I look around the room and you've got guys there with like the flowing long hair. They've got the, they got the vest tops on, they got the tan, they've got the skateboard there. They look like skater boys, you know, all that kind of thing. And they're thinking, what the fuck am I doing here? I look nothing like these people. And sure enough, I go into the room and don't do a great job and walk out thinking, oh, that was a waste of time. But, uh, but you know, but all the same, I'm glad to have the experience of that. But I remember thinking, I, there's a part of me thinking, why did you want to see me exactly for this? Oh, there's no point in trying to second guess. There's sometimes I've, I've been sent a part and it's like male 40s and I'm like, uh, right, and I just go right. I'm just going to go in and say I'll ring my agent. The amount of times I used to ring my agent, going Re really, really for this, and they go, well, they might be changing around. You go, fine. I just I'm not going to ask questions. I'm just going to go. But yeah, it's always it's always weird. And also, if you go for an audition, especially advert auditions, Jesus Christ, oh, yeah. I've had 
terrible ones absolutely terrible um but yeah you either walk into a room where everyone looks like you which is weird or you walk into a room and no one looks like you and you go why the hell am i here yeah you're thinking what yeah. <laughs> what are you doing here for yeah. oh that's amazing um so yeah, let, let's talk about some of the other the other things you've been involved in um uh, over the first uh, lockdown as you will know the national theater released national theater at home uh, so we could watch stuff in our front rooms and they encourage us to charity donations etc but they made it available for us to get through that lockdown because we're all still in that first limbo of thinking what what's going on we can't go outside we can't meet anyone so but one of those productions was of course Jane Eyre which you were in from which transferred from the Bristol Old Vic to the um was it was it the Littleton that you did it at yeah it was in the Littleton, the Littleton yeah. yeah the national um what was that experience like? Because Bristol, because the experience I have of Bristol or Vic uh, is that they very, they seem very movement orientated, and that they want to tell the story through, through movement as opposed to, to words and description. Would that be a fair thing to say about them, or am I getting that completely wrong? No, I mean what it is, it's uh, so Sally Cookson who directed it. It's yeah. all kind of led by her, and we we wrote we wrote it as well. We devised it and mm -hmm. wrote. Um, so the words I was saying, some of those were scenes, you know, we all wrote together. We started with absolutely nothing. We started, we walked into the room. I mean, and she just said, put, put Jane Eyre down in the middle of the floor, put your copy and put it in the middle of the floor and tell me what you think of the covers. What does that say about Jane Eyre? What, is, what do the covers say about this story? What do we want to say about, you know? And it started from there, so we had nothing. I didn't even know what parts I'd be playing. There was an idea that I was, it was more than likely I was going to be Helen, uh, who very sadly dies because she's from the Northeast. And, you know, my fellow cast members, I'm not going to slag them off. They're amazing people, but their Northeast accents are terrible. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's how we started. So we literally started in a room with the books in the middle of the room and just went, oh, shit, yeah. how do this epic epic story because it's absolutely epic and yeah. we, we had storyboards i mean it was one it is the most exhausting job i have ever done yeah. and it's really been one of the most testing jobs but also it absolutely had my heart yeah. because we had a movement director dan cannon who was working in the room with us we had benji bauer who was writing the music in the room with us yeah. so it was all created together so, and, you know, we even get credited saying it was written by the company. And, you know, when it goes on, we get a little, because we share it between so many, we get about 20p, but we get kind of credited with the, the, the making of it. So we made it all. And originally in Bristol, it was two parts. Yeah. And then when we transferred it to uh, the Littleton, we made it into one uh, whole part. But yeah, it was absolutely exhausting, but a piece that, we were so immensely proud of yeah. and Sally's kind of, it's an extraordinary room to be in because it's truly collaboration. And what's nice about it is you can become, what I really enjoyed about the job was I was not only actor, but I was writer. I could sit on the other side with Sally in scenes that I wasn't in and be director and say that part of the story is not clear. How do we make it clear? You know, it, it's a brilliant room. And I've since worked with Sally, uh, since then, I, w I did um, Mercutio with a Romeo and Juliet and also did uh, played the White Witch um, for her at the bridge. So I've worked with her a few times and it's she's got this extraordinary thing where you want to work your hardest and it's exhausting. Yeah. You just, you want to, you want to, you want to produce the best you can for her because she's, she's, a, she's a brilliant person. So yeah, very, very proud of it, but yeah. And playing that Adele character, yeah. I should have given her polio to slow her down, but that was like she was exhausted. <laughs> she was exhausted. Yeah. Just, oh God! And the set was impossible to run. I had twenty-three quick changes in that show. Twenty-three. I had twenty-seven changes. Twenty-three of them were quick. Oh my uh, God! It was absolutely insane and exhausting. But I think that I had a pedometer on me at one point, and I was like. <laughs> I essentially did a half marathon, do you know what I mean? Every night. You must have, you could have secretly put your phone in your back pocket and just see how many steps you did. Yeah, the I put a little pedometer on me. Yeah. yeah. 
and came up with a ridiculous amount that I was running around, just endlessly doing circuits backstage. And yeah, right. it was very weird to watch though, because of course I hadn't seen it. Yeah. I didn't, and we, over lockdown, we, the National asked us to do a little funny skit about the running, you know, the running in it. Yeah, yeah, so I put my mum's apron on and made a bonnet and, you know, I mean, and ran in the gun, made an absolute twat of myself. But it was start of lockdown, you had to cheer people up. But we did this little skit, so mum was like, let's watch it. So uh, we watched it and it was very weird. And it was weird to give yourself, because there was times I was going, oh no. And I was like, don't give yourself notes on something you did a few years ago. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. I was like, oh, you should have done that like that. And I was like, stop it. So, but no. yes, I, I ended up crying. I was very proud of everyone. You should, and I'm proud of yourself as well, because yeah, I remember the, um, oh God, is it the, the character who passed away quite early on in the show that you played? Um, Helen Burns. Helen Burns, yeah. Uh, you had a lovely moment, for anyone who hasn't seen it, there's a lovely moment between you and Jane Eyre, and I think as you were just sort of on, on your last legs and you were just sort of just about, as you say, probably giving her polio to slow it down <laughs> or, or something like that. Uh, but she's she's slowly passing away and she's telling, oh God, she, she's, she's got a lovely speech about um, how we should be respectful to one another or like, or be, like be cheerful in life. You know, life is not perfect, yeah. but we've got to stay close to each other and make each other feel special. And it was a lovely moment there and you could I could really see that I could I didn't see Laura there I saw that character I saw someone slipping away into into the undiscovered country and it was a, it was a beautiful moment honestly I know, I know that we, we all do it we all look back and stuff and you know I've looked back over podcasts I've done like with Christian and and um, most recently Ben from GSA and stuff like that and I think oh god <laughs> I look at myself and I'm I talk like this sometimes <laughs> and oh shit for now. And I'm like, oh God, <laughs> who, would, who would want to talk to that guy? <laughs> but uh, but um, but no, we all do it. But no, seriously, that was that was a lovely moment. She'd be very proud of. Um of course was one the the consum because she dies of consumption. Mm. And I didn't want to kind of immediately because it's always portrayed as <laughs> coughing into bloody yeah. hanks and bloody bloody hankies and all that kind of stuff and we looked into the symptoms and the one of them is that not being able to get your breath and that was I thought that's my end she can't so when you first meet her you don't get to see there's occasional cough in the vignettes of moving and a, a bit of coughing but that was the one I really because what happens is your lungs fill up with kind of fluid so your lungs get shallower and shallower. Mm. Um, and that idea that, so that's because I didn't want it to be all like, because <laughs> as soon as you see someone coughing into a hanky, you're like, they're dead immediately. You're like, you're going to die. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that kind of idea of her not being able to breathe, which I could pepper in from the very start when you first meet Helen, that she has a little tick that she does because she can't quite breathe properly. Um, but yeah, she was she was she was a gorgeous character to play. I I deeply love Helen, and I wish it, I wish I could be more like Helen, and be as forgiving and understanding as Helen. Obviously, without the shortness of breath bit, you know. Yeah, being able to breathe. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. pretty pretty key. Yeah. And of course, it's the the subtleness of things as well. Like it could, if you, if you're watching a character on stage, just going like, <laughs> you know, you're just thinking, oh. Shush, just, just die already, you know, just, I don't want to hear this anymore. But the subtlety really engaged with me as well because it was that subtleness of someone who's, the impression I got, it was someone trying to cling to life and they know that that's out of their control now. They're, they're knowing they're just going to let nature do its thing. And yeah. it was that slipping into the, you know, that slipping into the undiscovered country. But then there was also a moment of, I've only got a few moments left now, but I'm going to share with you every possible positive piece of advice that I can have you know forgive people be happy don't let anyone bring you down just be happy to be you and then just yeah you know and that you know that's you know that, that I can see why you would love a character like that so much I would love a character like that if I played somebody like that as well yeah um so I suppose that brings me on to our experience on my country of work in progress at the national uh of course uh, we mentioned this before we came on, uh, Rufus and I, I think I mentioned this from the show with Christian as well. We all stood in the room and then Rufus just went, okay, hello everyone. Nice to see you. Um, okay, I'm a bit nervous because I have no fucking idea what we're going to get out to do, <laughs> how we're going to create this. 
So having you experienced what you what you just done with the Bristol Old Vic, um, yeah. I mean, and then you jump back into another project where you're starting from scratch. Was it was it kind of a feeling of right here we go again? I know what I'm doing now, or like oh god, not again? Was it? What well, was it? a little bit. Oh god, because of course you do kind of a um, a show where you improvise and you write and you do that. And then just like this glorious industry is, people go, oh, that's what you do now. Okay, great. So I was doing loads of stuff where it was like devising. And I was like, I don't want to devise anymore. I just want to walk in the room and someone goes, there's the entire script. There'll be a few changes, but there you are. There's your part, learn it. But like, oh God, because yeah, I'd, I'd ended up doing quite a few kind of bits and pieces and being invited for workshops for improvising and devising. And I never thought that was a, a particularly strong skill of mine but yeah um but yeah that. but when I met Rufus we had a chat about um he'd seen Jane Eyre yeah. and he invited me in for a chat and said will you play the northeast for this thing and it's I was like what 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 is it he was like I, I don't really know and I've got you know and I was like oh, okay uh, yeah all right and so that was <laughs> so I, I took it going I really don't know what's going on but I really like Rufus. I think he's a, a brilliant guy and I really want to work with him. So here goes. So, yeah, so there was a bit, but it was slightly different as in because we had um, we had people in the room helping, try, you know, Caroline Duffy, she was going to be writing the script. We were giving stuff, but I, we weren't completely um, uh, responsible entirely for the structuring of it and all that kind of stuff. That was... Kind of, so there was a little bit of pressure off there going, well, at least I'm not having to come up with the, the text because they'd be like, well, Caroline will sort that out, that bit out. So there was a little bit of relief going home at night and not going, right, I've got to write a scene for tomorrow, I've got to write, but I, you know, it was endless work of listening to our tapes and that was exhausting and doing verbatim theatre and trying to copy the rhythms and the breath of a guy called Gary who works in the fish fish uh, industry like yeah it was it was really hard and, and having to trawl through like you did trawl through all the audio to pick bits out that were relevant yeah I mean it was hours and hours and hours of work but yeah, yeah. um and yeah I just probably looked a bit mad going in every morning because I would have my earphones in and I'd be chuntering away to myself and people were looking at us I was like hey, hey, hey. Oh, we're talking down here like that uh Gary from uh Bloody weird. Bloody weird. This job's weird. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun weird though. Yeah. I remember I remember on the first day, oh God, I'd made an absolute idiot out of myself because I was meeting up because I was thinking, oh my God, I'm on a I'm at the National. I'm gonna work with Rufus Norris. And I was thinking, and then that that was a good experience for me for many reasons, but it was also like I thought Rufus was like this this kind of god figure who like had people bowing down to him all the time. But then I just realized it's just he's just a just a normal guy, you know. Yeah. You know? he's a brilliantly talented man i remember on the first day i walked into the office the director's office upstairs i was being shown around and then he sort of goes and then i was just looking around and i said oh yeah it's really nice to be here. and i turned around and there he was just stood right in front of me and i just i didn't really have time to think i just went <laughs> i did one of the things i just went yo it's really really good to be here and i was there oh, hey rufus <laughs> that's fine he's uh, fine yeah I, I remember i remember back then i I had bleached blonde hair. I was just, I was like, like this. I was like a, you know, all those nodding dogs you get in the car around the whole place. Uh, and, oh God, I was just, I was thinking, oh God, Rufus, he's probably thinking, who the f is this guy? <laughs> it's just some never, weird universe. Never. <laughs> no, but uh, that was, but what, what an incredible, incredible time that was. It's something I will remember for a very, very long time. And, you know, just, meeting you guys and you know christian and you know cavern and all that lot um, Still friends see Kevin. oh Kevin's just about finished playing mercutio at the yeah. uh, regent's park and um i i messaged him because uh he's been in ireland quite a bit but he's back in london and i said once you know things calm down i'll uh i won't get to see it i'll miss it unfortunately but I gave i was like do you want some notes on how to play mercutio so we had a little uh, mercutio off i was <laughs> I will say the best. I didn't actually intend on giving him notes, but I was like, "Don't be shit," because uh, I'm I'm obviously better than you at Mercutio. Yeah. He was like, "No, I'm better at." So yeah, we had a Mercutio off. 
of who was going to be the best Mercutio. A plague and, of both your houses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He could, uh, say it, he could say it better. And I can just imagine you going, no, I said it better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I said, if I do get to see it, I'll just sit there and touch and go, nah, I, I didn't do it like that. That's rubbish. Yeah. So yeah, a really good supportive friend. <laughs> yeah, just I, I can just see you like if you, if you were be able to catch you, you'll be in the audience just going. Yeah. Is that, 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 no. Oh, that was rubbish. <laughs> yeah, he's walking off stage, probably just his last, you know, plague on both your houses, and you're going. Oh, oh, you look. Where did that go? Come on. Yeah. Threw away the most yeah. famous line in. Probably the most famous line in the whole play, and probably one of Shakespeare's as well. So congratulations, <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, no, nothing like being a supportive friend, you know. Oh no, definitely not, definitely not. Um, cool. So it, it's so interesting to hear about the development because devising is not my thing at all. You know, my final show before I came to see you guys at the National, we did a we put a piece together. Um, I think quite similar to what you guys went through with my country, we had a we had a text. But it was finding the movement there to, you know, I always find, what, what would Sally say about movement? So I always get that really typical drama student thing where you go, okay, symbolize a storm and you're trying to create a storm physically without looking like a complete twat. And you're, and you're just going, we're, we're in a storm right now. So it's like, that's not convincing. Uh, you know, there's still um, fine line between that. You know, there's a real fine line between it. And there were times that Jeanette, when, because we would, we would go over and over and over stuff, like, because, you know, it, it, we did everyone's idea of going, what's the most effective? Mm. Uh, and it, there is a fine line from it being really good, simple storytelling to really wanky and a bit shit. So it, it's like, what we did is we, we kind of came up with the language, because what, What's brilliant is you can tell a shitload of a story, not with words. So you can do it with movement and with music. Music was a key part to that as well. Oh, um, and, you know, how do you do this epic story and on a stage with kind of no set, with essentially a playground as a set? Yeah. Um, and we kind of made this language between us of what tiredness was or what, or how would you show? So it was just endlessly doing stuff, trying it out, looking at it, going, no, that's not telling this part. Is it? Is it telling the story? And what part is it? And it, you know, creating a storm, mm -hmm. if, if you do it in one movement, if you can work out how to do it, rather than like, oh, you know, what's yeah. one movement that says storm to you? So it was really trying to hone down. So not doing a big tableau of a storm. Yeah. There's one where a whirlwind got us and we just did one movement and, and snapped back. And it was to be really disciplined about the move that you did. So it wasn't um, wishy-washy. It was very clear when we were going into those movement sections. So the traveling, for instance, you, we didn't want to be like miming traveling on a horse and cart, you know, and it was like running on the spot. If you stand in a formation and you run on the spot and you have some music over it, which is about progression and you have sound effect, then it doesn't need to be any more than that. And that's just running on the spot. And that tells you so much about travel and things. So it was, it, you have to be quite disciplined about keep analyzing and keep looking going, is this really shit or is this good? And there were times, I mean, there was, there's a bit in Jane which we never solved properly. Mm. We didn't solve it in Bristol and we couldn't solve it when we redid it in London, when we were thinking it down. It's like, that will forever be a little bit of the shit bit that I always go, ah, God, we didn't, we didn't get that right. That's crap. That's still crap. So, yes. Yeah, so, uh, the law was, but yeah, movement and stuff is, yeah. it, it, for me, I'd not really worked on a show in that way. Um, uh, because that was my first one with her and I loved it. And it was really satisfying to be able to get story across and work it out. It was nice to be involved in the working out as well. Not being told where to stand and what to do. Yeah, and like, and then that's your baby as a result of yeah. I think that we created that. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, just just a few more things today before we sort of finish. Um, okay, we talked about devising there, but you've also done Shakespeare. Like we just mentioned the Mercutio off with uh, with Cavern. Um, yeah. When it comes to Shakespeare, do you, are you do you obey the rhythm or do you more go for natural, more, more like a natural response? So do you follow the beats in the line to a T or do you just speak it as you would 
speak it. So and... You're slightly forced into the rhythm without you. I try and keep yeah. it kind of naturalist. I mean, it used to be, I remember my dad reading Shakespeare and he'd always put on a Shakespeare voice. And yeah. I'd be like, wow. Oh, yeah. Solid flesh. Oh, for those of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention, a kingdom for a stage, you know, yeah. all that. And yeah. The swelling scene. Yeah. But yeah. So he would put on his Shakespeare voice. And when I played, uh, it's not uh, Shakespeare, it's Webster, which is really slightly impenetrable, but he has rhythms. When I played Fl Flaminio, yeah. There are there is a rhythm, but what I did was I I naturally how would I say it is how where I start. Mm -hmm. How would I say it? What 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 am I saying? Right, what am I saying? And how would this character say it to this person? Like genuinely, how would I say it just in my rhythm, in my thing? And then once you've worked that out, you can do it, and then you work on, right, well, there's a gap there. Where can I breathe? So especially at the RSC, you get, you know, loads of kind of help with the the kind of voice work and all that kind of stuff they've got a huge department that is there and so you do stick to it but that's not my first port of call my first port of call is what am i saying mm -hmm. and how do i say to someone you know say the line is you you've upset my entire family and i want to kill you you know how would i say that and how would i mean it and then do it that way and then the rhythm kind of comes in anyway with the iambic. You kind of can't really get away from it, which yeah. is right, I think. Um, and to break it up too much. The thing is, what you've got to realise is he's made sense of it. He's done a lot of work and it's worked for many years. And there's no way I'm going to come in and go, ah, but if I put a pause here, this is, you know, it's like he's he's done the work. I, I you know, yeah. I don't want to be like Laura Elphinstone knows better. Um, but uh, But yeah, I like to put my 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 take on it and try and make it feel like instead of it feeling disconnected from me that it feels very much connected but it's within the world of the language if you see what I mean that's interesting that's so interesting um yeah because I always thought that if you had if you behave the rhythm to a T I thought you'd sound a bit like a robot you know like they don't they don't they don't who speaks like that but then it's having been at drama school briefly in January and then of course going back you know there is meaning to that, you know, there's a reason why this rhythm is in place, because then once you speak over it, it makes sense. And then yeah. suddenly, and suddenly you read Shakespeare at first and you think, what's he talking about? But then suddenly yeah. when you just go over it again and again, you think, oh, it's like, you clever bastard. <laughs> you clever yeah. bastard. He is a bastard. Yeah. And I, I still struggle. I mean, every Shakespeare I go and see, the first 15 minutes, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm just like, what, what they're talking about. And then finally I go, all right, no, I'm in the world now. I understand. But yeah, yeah. first 15 minutes of a Shakespeare, even if I've seen it before, I'm like, uh, what? What are they chatting on about? Yeah, so. Yeah, no clue, no clue. No, I was a steward at the Globe the summer before COVID and I loved it. I can't wait to go back. But the first few minutes of like the Merry Wives of Windsor or um, Midsummer, even though I've seen it so many times, I'm just going, I still don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, are you what you're chatting on about? Oh God! Yeah. Oh no, Puxy, I know what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> and they speak so quickly. I mean, don't get me wrong. If any of you guys are listening to this, you did an amazing job. But it's just like they just go, and I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. guys, guys, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, slow. I know I'm here for free, but just, just, <laughs> I'm supposed to be working here, by the way, which I'm not getting paid for, by the way. I'm being a volunteer, and it's like, oh, mental. Um, that's amazing. Um, so just one last question, if I may, Laura, before I let you go. Um, we spoke earlier about, you know, drama school, what, they, what it gives you, what it takes away and stuff like that. Um, yeah. We spoke just before we came on about those, even when you leave drama school, there's still, and of course, in the position you are now, you know, you've achieved so much and you've done some amazing stuff and will continue to do amazing stuff. I know that for sure. Um, what's it like for those first few years out of drama school when you're thinking to yourself, how how am I going to make this work? How did you make it work? And is it, obviously there's a physical aspect of actually going to the auditions and just keeping and just turning up and talking to your agent and stuff like that. But mentally, do you have to say to yourself every day, something like, I might not be where I want to be right now, but if I just keep going, I know that I'm going to do this. And, and you have, you know, so what was your, well, what were your sort of first few years like after training to? Um, it's, it was, it was really weird because I discovered in the first couple of years that this ladder system doesn't quite work in the uh, in this industry. 
So I left drama school a bit early and I did my first uh, show, which was at the Royal Court. Mm. Brilliant cast, as Simon Stevens wrote it. Sally Hawkins played my mum. Lee Ross was my dad. It was amazing. And it was, I thought, well, there we are. I'm off. I'm off. I got a, a good agent. I was like, here we go. This is what I wanted. I'm getting paid to be an actor. Fine. And then I think for nearly a year after that, I didn't then work and was like, Oh, I did like a few little bits and pieces. But then, you know, I then got employed again. I thought, right, we're back on it. And then I remember at one point I played a lead at the National. And I thought this was years later going, oh, I'm, I'm in it now. Come on, I'll play the lead. And no, I then didn't work. And the next time I was a maid in something else. So first of all, it's learning that this industry is, is really tough and that you know, you can be up here and you can be down there, but in a second from down here, you can be up here, but in a second, you can be up here and down there. Yeah. And I, so I worked in between. So I did, I was a cleaner, I was a waitress, I was a teaching assistant. And to be honest, there was no other option for me. I didn't, I can't do anything else to this ability. So that's kind of what kept me going when, you know, I was cleaning other people's skid marks out of a toilet I was a bit like, you know, this. I need to. I need to stay in London. I want to stay in London in order to, you know, be around the corner. You don't have to be. It's a bit different now because of, you know, all this Zoom and thingy. It's not so key to be in the midst of it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I wanted to be in London, and I I wanted to stay, and I was like, I want to survive and build a life here. And I always remember when I signed with my agent, we talked about it. And she said to me, we're in a marathon, not a sprint. And I was like, okay, because I want to be an actor for the entirety of my life. I don't want to be a flash in the pan and it all to come and then all to go. So I just felt like each job was building. So it was part of a building block. So if I did get a job, even if it was, and the, the in-between jobs, I was trying to make myself happy in between because that's the key. And I mentor at Guildhall and, one of the key things I say is make yourself happy in between work because there's going to be a lot of time sitting in that. For some, it might not. Some people, it might just work constantly, but it's very rare. And if I think about the percentage of people in my drama school that are still working, it's like 5% of us out of our year. So it's, it's really, it's a tough industry and it's tough, not necessarily because those people um, weren't good enough. Um, couldn't. It was literally because of the mental side of just going, I can't can't keep on pretending that I'm all right with this because they couldn't make themselves happy in between. I just thought I have to build, I have to keep building. And I had ambition. I'm not ruthless with my ambition. I think I could be a bit better with that. I'm a little bit like, uh, a little bit shy. I'm not um, front footed necessarily. I'm ambitious though. And I want to work and I want to do good work and I want to do good work with good people. And it's just being steely and going, I, I can achieve this, I will. And then each job was a stepping stone into this marathon that I'm still running. And I continue to hope we'll keep running because, you, you know, it'll stop tomorrow. I don't know. I'm very lucky that I've got stuff this to the end of the year. And, you know, I've had a great few years of not having to be anything else apart from an actor. You know, it's been a while now since I've had to do that, which is very, which is amazing. And, a lot of people can't say that but so I feel very lucky now I'm always still building and I I don't ever sit back and go oh I've arrived now I'm I'll be fine I go okay what's the next choice and I'm starting to get into a position where I can slightly choose what I do now and I might not be in that position next year so it's 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 a constant battle that every actor in this industry will have yeah. Um, but yeah, just keeping money coming in was a big key. It was like, keep money coming in. It means I can stay here, which means I can still do auditions. It means I can still go to the theatre on a cheap night, you know. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of survival. And also there was no other option. I was like, there's nothing else I can do. So this is all I've got. This is all I'm relatively half decent at. So yeah. Um, so yeah. And I didn't want to be a teacher. My mum was a teacher and I was sworn never to be a teacher. I was surrounded by teachers growing up. So I was like, I'm not very teacher. I can't. <laughs> I, I, I haven't got the, I'm, I'm not, I'm not good enough to have that as life. They're amazing teachers. And I'm just like, nah, can't do it. Me neither. 
me neither I can't no. I've I said that to myself when I was young as well I can't be a teacher I just can't I don't have the patience yeah just every aspect of a teacher that you need to have I just I don't I don't have that at all but uh wow that was that was incredible to hear that honestly because you really articulated that everything that we go through you know and you know even you like you said you'd be a lead at the national but you know but you don't know where the next job's coming from and yeah. and but you know just keep working I mean like yourself that has been my mentality that I can't do anything else I can't go get a job in a in an office or I can't get a proper job whatever that means yeah. uh and you know we're actors it's in our hearts in our blood and this is what we're put on the earth to do and yeah. we have to just keep fighting for that and try not to do too much stuff for free. Like I then stopped. Yeah. I did a few bits, I did a few short films, I did just because my camera uh, work needed, I needed to use them really, um, just to get my head around. Cause in drama school, I didn't do a lot of um, TV and film stuff. Mm. So I did a couple of kind of short film things and a couple of things on the cheap, but then I was like, no, I'm not doing free theatre. I'm not doing because I was, I've trained a lot for this and I've wanted this since and I want to get paid and, and we should get paid. You know, you don't ask a plumber around to come and fix your pipes and go, that for free because you really enjoy doing your job? It's like, no. So try not to do it. I thought I'd rather be a teaching assistant and rather be than give something like that free, even though I was desperate to act, desperate. Hmm. It was That was another choice of going, I'll be a teaching assistant, I'll be a waitress. Or I'll work in that office where I had to research chambers of commerce. I mean, I wanted to kill myself, but I'd rather do that. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. Uh, but yes, um, try not to do too much for free because people will then take the mickey. Yeah. And just one very last thing, if I may, just a very, very last thing. Yeah. Um, how do you, like, obviously your agent works for you uh, and she's the one who gets you in the room, she's the one who gets you the part um so how what's the best way of working with an agent is it okay to actually phone them up and say i haven't heard from you for a while what's going on um is there anything there for me what's going on can you is it yeah. okay to challenge your agent sometimes yeah i mean what the the biggest key that i say to the the girls that i've been mentoring is you need to have a relationship with your agent yeah. that's the most important thing because if they give a shit about you they will put you out there for things yeah. um, and there might not be things that happen and I'm I can be I can go a bit quiet when things have gone quiet and I always get told off by my agent sometimes but for not reaching out it's key that you do and now I do do it so if I'm feeling a little bit if you've got a decent enough agent and you've got someone who is you know relationship is key even if they're smaller if they're a bigger relationship is what's important so you should be able to ring up and go, do you know what? I'm really panicking. I'm feeling really crap um, because they do work for you and you're giving them money when you do work. And, you know, that that includes times where I've got the job myself, but they take the money, you know, rightly so. They have started me on this whole journey, but absolutely ring and just say things like, is there anything I can do? Is there, you know... I've heard that this is happening. Like the amount of times I've rung up my agent and gone, oh, my friend contacted me about this job and said there was a part for me in it. And they'll go, yes, uh, we did put you up, but they've chosen uh, to go, you know, for a man to do it or they've, you know, they've totally changed the remit. So, and then you know, so you haven't gained anything because you're still not going up for the part, but it makes you go, okay, they are thinking about me or they're not thinking about me. How about, you know, let's have a chat. What can I do to help? Is there anything I can do? Also, don't do it like every day, you know, pick and choose your time. You don't want to send them insane because um, you have to also learn to look after yourself in this industry and, and not rely on someone else picking you up because that's one of the toughest things about this job is that you, you're endlessly looking for someone else to outside yourself for affirmation of who you, confirmation of who you are. And whether you feel good about yourself is whether or not you're working. And you, to rely on them completely for that, I, I don't suggest that. But absolutely, 100%, you need to be able to ring your agent and say, look, I'm finding it tough at the minute. It's been a month since I've heard anything or two months since I've heard anything. Is there anything I can do? Is it, you know, and, and 
yeah, so I would say yes to that. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. That's so good to hear that you can that you can challenge, obviously not annoy them, but say, look, come on, where's you know, we need to work together on this. You know, we need to yeah. deal with this. And you know, I've had a few agents before and I've always kind of rang them up and just said, you know, what's going on sort of thing. But because they look after so many people, like I was part of an extras agency. Um, yeah. Because they've got so many people. So it's not quite the same experience, but I would always phone them up and just say, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm available. So, oh yeah, we'll put, you, we'll put you at the top of the list. We'll be in touch and obviously not not hear anything so but but that's slightly different because that's an extra agency and not someone who looks after you on a one-to-one basis like your agent or anyone else's so yeah that's good to know um yeah so fantastic yeah that was the last question laura this has been so informative this has been such a pleasure to hear your experiences and i get i'm getting inside information about hbo now this is incredible (laughs) up with a funny thing about your surname you'll get a part that's yeah. all it <laughs> yeah yeah I, just, I don't know I think Gower is quite you, oh God, I think it's quite unique enough anyway but you know maybe I can maybe I can do some like Welsh hit like some research like Welsh surnames or something like that I'll speak to Christian and just uh, yeah Christian will be able to tell you all about that yeah, okay well why don't you try this one I said yeah this has nothing like my surname <laughs> and then be like yeah we'll get you in the room so yeah <laughs> Okay, I trust you, but it's okay. Uh, amazing. Yeah, so Laura, this is, um, I think once again, thank you so much. I know you've got a mad schedule at the moment because you've got your work and, you know, you've got stuff being done to your house at the moment and all that kind of stuff. Um, but seriously, thank you so much for finding the time today. I really, really do appreciate it. And it's such a pleasure to talk to you again and to see you again. Uh, yeah. Oh, this has been such good. Uh, if you just, if you just hang around uh, after I finish the recording, I'll say goodbye to you one-to-one. But yeah. Uh, we'll leave it there so yeah this has been the uncensored critic thank you guys for watching thank you for listening uh yeah and i'll be back soon and once again laura thank you so much no probs <laughs>